DW, the 77%. Italy is often the destination for many African migrants who make the dangerous and sometimes deadly journey to Europe. Today's show shines a light on the Nigerian Mafia and how they lure many unsuspecting people into human trafficking. My name is Michael Uti. We start off in Castle Vortuno. The Italian coastal town, once a vibrant tourist destination, has become a crime-blend crime hotspot. It is controlled by the Nigerian Mafia. They make millions through drugs and prostitution. Now, Casabatuno is a big headquarter without control, and there are many hidden places here in Casabatuno where they can hide their things and they can do everything they want without um, notifying the state or the police. That is Davide, a former member of the mafiosi who wants to remain anonymous for his own safety. Most of the illegal activities take place in what the Nigerian Mafia calls connection houses. During one raid, Italian authorities found weapons, drugs, and evidence of prostitution. Most of these prostitutes are trafficked from sub-Saharan Africa, especially Nigeria, like Blessing. The Nigerian computer scientist was lured to Europe by the mafiosi with a promise of a high-paying job. She came to Italy via Spain with all the right paperwork. But like thousands of other Nigerian women, she ended up on the streets. I got scared when they took away my phone. And when they told me that I now owed them 65,000 euros, only then did I realize I was in the clutches of traffickers. Unlike others, though, Blessing had the courage to escape from her tormentors, and she went to the police. When they put you out on the street, they're always spying on you, watching you. If a potential customer comes by in their car, they keep a list and check your earnings later that evening to make sure you're not hiding money. If you get pregnant, they give you some abortion drugs and then lock you up inside for three days even though you're bleeding. Davide used to work as a drug trafficker. He would swallow little packets of cocaine and then smuggle them into Italy. So I can swallow up to 1.2 kilos. You cannot get carry enough. So you have to stay at two days without food. Many of the smugglers die in the process. If just one, one cocaine package breaks open inside the intestine, the smuggler will die. The person cannot discharge the goose. They'll just tie the person on the ground and tie the hands and wait for the person to die. Then they take off the goose. But the goose is more important than the person. The value of human being is zero, completely zero. The mafia can be brutal. Severe punishments are dealt out to anyone who breaks their rules. They will cut you into pieces and they will give it to any member that is in the group to go and throw it 
in the forest. So if the body is decapitated in pieces, surely nobody can trace and know what exactly happens to that person. Victims of human trafficking are under incredible amount of pressure. They fear for their lives and for their families. Our reporter, Christine Mundua, went to Palermo to hear from former victims and discuss possible solutions. In this debate, you will be hearing from Princess Inyan Okonkon, a former victim of human trafficking, Blessing Okedion, a former victim of forced prostitution, Francesco Del Grosso from the Italian Police Foreign Crime and Prostitution Unit, Samson Olomu, who is the president of the Nigerian Association of Palermo, and Lena Trovato. She is an anti-mafia prosecutor. The 77% is in Italy, and we're here to get the story of the slave trade of women from Africa. Over the last three years, 20,000 women, all of them Nigerian, many of them minors, have arrived in Italy via the Mediterranean Sea. The United Nations says 80% of them, get that number again, 80% of them are victims of trafficking or are in danger of falling into the hands of victims. We're going to be hearing first from two women who know that story all too well. Princess, I'm going to come to you first. How did you land up in Italy? I came to Italy through a woman who was a madam in Italy. She was a, a human trafficker. She came to my states and ate in my restaurant because I was a chef. And after eating, she proposed to me that I cook very well and also promised me that if I would like to go to Italy, she would sponsor me and I would be able to work in an Italian restaurant as a good chef. And by then, I did not know anything about human trafficking in prostitution. Right. And when we got to Turin, they sold me out to one of the youngest madam who just finished paying her debt. She was an ex-victim of human trafficking also. Right. That was how I was uh, sold as a slave. Okay, that's Princess's story. Blessing, I'm going to come over to you and start right at the same place as I did with Princess. How did you land up in Italy? When I arrived in Italy, they told me that I was indebted with the sum of 65,000 euros. Immediately, I understood that I have fallen into the hands of traffickers. Then I was really frightened. Right. I was afraid. I was really traumatized. Mm. Do you know what it means to give up yourself to a man that you never know? Do you know what it means as a woman? to move with more than one man a day. The thing, getting to the road with the way things were. I could not keep shirt. I, can, I could remember vividly when I asked, can we not report this to the police? What are the Italian government doing about it? One of the things uh, that we know is that, and we heard from Princess and Blessing, is that they don't report, the victims don't come and report. Yes, it's very important that the victims are, uh, came to, to us to, to tell their stories because uh, uh, they need to trust uh, in, uh, our, uh, in our system, in our government, in our uh, law enforcement. Um, they need to trust uh, to the right person when they arrive here in, in Italy. I'm interested to know about how that whole thing works, but Samson, way in here. The, the difficulties is this. One is the language barrier. Two 
in Africa where we came from. We don't have, we, we, it's not a society. When you have a problem with somebody, you go to tell the police. Three, fear, the madan is there, threatening, that if you're going to report, the police are going to arrest you, you don't have a document, they are going to deport you. He's threatening right. that right. if you report me, I will kill your mother, okay. I will kill your brother, I will destroy you, you swear, voodoo. So the whole thing, we create a kind of, a kind of an earthquake to that very individual mind. He became confused. Okay, I'm going to come to you, Lena. I have a question, but say what you need to say first and then I'll follow up with my question. We do know that victims of human trafficking are victims less willing to cooperate. We don't uh, stay there and waiting for a report. Because we know there are the parents' pressure, there are the madam threatening her. In Catania, for example, we built a net, working all together, building investigation without a witness statement. Okay. This kind of uh, way to combat human trafficking has been really successful. In a few months we are able to arrest, we have been arrested so many people, more than 100 in the last years. In 2018 we had um, a conviction for 100 98 years of imprisonment for many traffickers. Okay, I'm going to come back to you now because let's try and think about the solutions. One of the things you spoke about earlier was the fact that there is demand and supply. Talk to us about that and why that needs to change. I believe that busy economies will tell you that a reduction in demand will lead to reduction in supply as well. Because I believe that the European Union needs to be truthful. And they need to do the right thing. But from it's the, not the European poor, Union sending from, Nigerian women to, to Italy. From, so let's me, talk about... To talk. The legalizing prostitution, what does that mean? Legalizing a vital part of a woman to be a task painter. Okay, I'm going to... Hang on a second. I think you... Yeah, let's let's go back. Sorry. But I want to talk about this, this vulnerable part of the world because I'm not satisfied with the idea that the only solution is from a European law perspective. How women. do we end trafficking? Yes. It can end... Between we the people, we the young Nigerians, we young Africa, that we will stand and say enough is enough for our people. Now, there's something I want to say. Our government is not helping matter. We cannot keep saying we're blaming the European Union, the European Union. Let me say, for example, if I have something, have a girlfriend, and I have to send my girlfriend to go work outside to feed me, to pay my house rent, to close me and slave her, who am I? I'm an, the first animal created by God. Yeah. You so he's saying that the solution is is among us, right? Right. right. No, I need I need a solution from Princess. I need a solution from you. Yeah, I can say that one of the solutions is that we should train our young ones in the way of righteousness, so that when they grow, they will never become a victim or a cleanse. That's number one. Then number two, we need to go back to our own country in order to. Um, let's say collaborate with our government to issue arts free education and also uh, give the youth opportunity to get right. job because most of the victims because they don't have free education and they don't get job we'll leave it there this has been the 77 percent we've been talking about the fact that many young african women are on the streets of italy day and night We've, told, we've been told that they're not prostitutes, that they're slaves. We've heard some of the solutions. We're interested to know what you think. Get in touch with us via social media where the conversation continues. There is a longer version of this debate, so if you want to learn more, go on to our YouTube page, DW Africa.
Now on Facebook, we asked you what you think about the activities of the Nigerian Mafia. And Nathan Sander has a really strong opinion. He says, The problem with Africa is that we blame everybody for our problems, except ourselves. If we are not blaming our governments, it's colonization, etc. He says, For crying out loud, colonization ended over 50 years ago, when these girls were not even born. All these excuses of being deceived about jobs abroad are false. These girls willingly travel to Europe and Arab countries, knowing fully well what they will do, prostitution. Let's tell ourselves the truth for once. And that is the opinion of Nathan Sander on our Facebook page. And Shola Salamade uh, responding to Nathan says, Nathan, are you sure colonization has ended? As far as we keep using their curriculum and keep borrowing money from the Western world, it will never end. Interesting conversation between Nathan and Shola there. And Nisenya says that it's a sad reality. These are the scars caused by the wounds of modern slavery. If indeed any other foreign country wants to help Africa, they should come and establish their factories in Africa where all raw materials are cheaply produced. And finally, John Banahene says, cut all the pontificating sex cells. That is his opinion. And he thinks that sex cells, that's why these people are engaged in these activities in Italy. Thanks so much for all of your comments. Uh, we appreciate them so much. Continue with the debate on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Despite all of the strong opinions that we have heard on the show so far, there are Africans who are determined to make the continent the envy of the world. Crystal from Ghana is one of them. She moved to Canada for university. But then, she decided that if she wanted the conversation around Africa to change for good, she should move back to Ghana and become part of the conversation herself. Here is her story. My name is Crystal Beckel. I am the CEO of Ainan Limited. I was born in Ghana. After I finished high school, I wanted to be away from the parents. Canada had a lot of things in place for people who wanted to work later on, and if you wanted to settle there, it was easier than also it seemed cheaper at the time. So then I chose there. So it took me a while to find people who were also well-traveled and, you know, understood Africa. And then I would bring you out chicken or some jollof rice, you know, and then the conversation would start. I started a company there already, you know, when, when friends would have parties, I'd come, I'd take, I'd take care of the menu, like, okay, this is how the food is going to look like, this is the kind of DJ we're going to have, and it was just a hobby. Meanwhile, I still had my economics degree in my back pocket. My apartment was a place where we'd always have discussions, like very, like discussions about, you know, why maybe Ghana is not doing as well as it's doing, or why Africa isn't running as smoothly as it is. And then I was like, no, actually, I'm doing something wrong because I'm out here and I have 
been blessed to get the education and the knowledge. And then I started changing my, my way of discussion. And it became more like, okay, I need to move back. I need to impact. I need to change. I need to be part of that change. I came down then for my interview that I had for the events company, Global Media Alliance. And I'd moved back and I sat in the interview and I'm like, yeah, I'm here for this job. And I, I remember looking at him and thinking, you would lose out if I didn't get the job. And I told him, well, I have my degree, so if I don't get the job, I'll find another job. And I think I got hired because of that. Some of the challenges that I faced was, um, like, whereas in Canada where, okay, you know that everyone has a role and everyone's doing the role to bring the bigger picture together, over here, you're doing everything. So if I was um, hired a, even to do, be an event planner, I was doing the accounting stuff, I was doing um, the decor stuff of the event planning. My advice to people who are still living out there, whether it's Canada, US or Europe, and you're thinking about coming back is just come with the mindset that it's not going to be easy, <laughs> but it's possible because we've done it. Now that you have your citizenship, if that's what it was about, okay, then move back. Now you've got it. Now come and let's see what we can do here together. My takeaway from that story is this. Our actions, no matter how small, count. Crystal's story is part of the Homecoming series from us here at DW Africa. Go onto our website and you can watch other inspiring stories. And with that, we come to the end of this week's 77% show. You can listen to this show and previous editions by visiting dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Michael Uti. Thanks for listening. Yeah.